I am excited about this morning's message. We're looking at the life of a young lady in the Bible that has tremendous courage. And I believe God would speak to our hearts and put some courage in our hearts as we look at this story today, as we live in the culture we live in. I'm calling this sermon, Fulfilling Your God-Given Destiny, Learning from the Life of Esther. Did you know God wants to use your life to accomplish great things for His kingdom? In the book of Esther, we see this happen in a young lady's life. Let me just set the story. We have 10 chapters, so I've got to summarize quite a bit today, but we're going to look at a lot of scripture too. There's a king named Xerxes. He reigns over, the Bible says, 127 provinces. So that stretches from India to Ethiopia. So this guy is the most powerful king in the world at the time. This king, Xerxes, has a wife named Vashti. And one time at a party when everybody's drunk and the king wants uh, some entertainment, he calls his wife and tells her to dance in front of the people. And she's embarrassed. She doesn't like what he's doing. And she says, no, I'm not going to do it. So the wife, the queen of the most powerful king in the world, uh, she, she, she humbles him in that setting <clears throat> and he's humiliated. <clears throat> As a result... He banishes her from not only the palace, but from his sight forever from there. And he strips the title of queen away from her. Now enters the story of Esther because the book starts with the search all across the land for a young woman to replace the queen. As a matter of fact, this is the very first episode of the TV program, The Bachelor, right here. All happened the same way. And incredibly, an unknown Jewish girl rises up to be queen. Let's pray. Father, you have given us this story to encourage us and to put courage into us. You used this young lady's life. She couldn't have known. Coming from where she did, a family that many would see inconsequential, a family that was broken, she couldn't have known that you would choose her. But you choose her, Lord, to save people, to change a nation. Father, I believe you want us to know that you want to see us moving on your behalf, too, to love people around us that they may be saved. Would you move in our hearts? And Holy Spirit, would you speak to each person here about the things you're calling them to do? Lord, give them the faces. Give them the places. Give them the times that you want them to move. Each of us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I'd like to say to you today is God wants to use your life too. He used her life in a tremendous way. He wants to use your life. Let's look at this story as they're on this quest for a new queen here in Esther 2, verse 5. At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shemai. His family had been among those who, with King Joachim of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 7, this man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So let's look at young Esther for just a moment. She comes from a hard place as a youngster. 
Her family was carried into captivity in, captivity in Persia. And there, somehow along the way, they die while she's still too young to live by herself. Can I stop there for a second and say, many people think because they've come from a broken family or tough circumstances that they're not qualified to be used by God. Often, God uses people who come from very hard and difficult journeys early on in life. There's so much about broken family in the Bible. Joseph, his brothers, sell him into slavery. His family sold him. David, adultery, murder is in that whole story. You talk about brokenness, it's all through the Bible. So don't disqualify yourself because of your upbringing, because of the hard thing, even because of your past trouble. Here she is with all this trouble and she's taken in to a, and there's a blended family. So now she's in the home of cousins and second cousins of Mordecai's children. Mordecai's her older cousin, but he adopts her as his daughter. And the point is God often chooses the one that no one would expect. He does what he does. I love this scripture because I think it, it, makes, it can make sense to all of us to know that God can use us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Do you see there? It's not so much about the container as it is about the treasure in the container. And he's in us. This treasure of Jesus Christ, this gospel, this, this written word is in our hearts and in our lives. And even though we're fragile clay jars, even though we've come from places that are hard or difficult, even though no one would choose us, God chooses to put his treasure in our lives. I have a friend. Nobody would have expected that he would have risen to do what he's done. He's been here to preach. His name is Sujo John. Sujo was raised in India, and as a young man, he came to Jesus Christ in Calcutta under the ministry of a missionary named Fulton Buntain. Fulton in Calcutta, that poorest city in the world, built the City of Hope. It was a hospital, the best hospital in the land. And it was churches and outreaches, and, and the City of Hope was reaching to people all across Calcutta. And in that environment... Sujo, as a young man, came to Jesus Christ. Later in life, he decided to move to America, but not to do ministry. He said he came to America to climb the ladder of financial success. Six months previous to the terrorist attacks on the two World Trade Towers in New York City, Sujo had moved from India seeking adventure and prosperity in the United States. And he, unbelievably, six months before, went to work on the 81st floor of the North Tower. And his then pregnant wife worked on the 71st floor of the South Tower. The day that the towers were hit, the day that they went down, those two were in the towers, one in the South, one in the North. By the grace of God, they survived. They were some of those that were able to get out, escaping literally through the flames. As a matter of fact, when the North Tower went down, Sujo was barely out, just a block or so away, and the soot and the, and the rubble was flying all around, and people were killed and, and, and buried in things, and somehow he lived. His pastor asked him, because he was in the tower, if he would share that Sunday night. Now, remember the environment over a decade ago and how the whole nation 
went, went to prayer. And everybody was trying to figure out what in the world was happening. We'd never seen anything like this in one of our cities uh, under attack. So that night, Sujo, now keep in mind, he's a young 20-something, and he's a business person. His pastor asked him to share on Sunday night. He says, okay, I can tell the story. I'm not a preacher, but I can tell the story. And he wanted to give God glory for pulling him out of that tower. When he showed up that night, there were a thousand people in the church because the whole community is now looking and searching for, for truth and God and help in these, in these things. Sujo's really nervous right away. A thousand people, he wasn't thinking that's what it would be. And as he's going up to talk, his pastor says, it's going to be okay. And there's so many people here, Sujo, you need to give an altar response time for salvation tonight. This is while he's going up to speak. Sujo, this young businessman, turns and goes, no, 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 I don't know how to do that. He goes, oh, just tell him to come to Jesus. They, just give him a chance. So he goes up, he tells the story. The Lord is there. And unbelievably, when he says, you know, if you want to find Jesus, just come down here and pray with me. 200 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ the first time he spoke. Sujo had no idea that the Lord had his hand on his life for other things. I think sometimes you don't know that the Lord has his hand on you for another day and a new thing and what he's about to do. I believe that Esther had no idea in her youth that these things were going to happen. I believe, as we read later in the story, even when she got to the palace, she didn't know what she was there for. She's just thinking, lucky me. This is awesome. How blessed I must be of God that he would put me in the palace with all the best furniture and, and this incredible dwelling place and all this power as queen. Amazing. But she didn't know that she was there for a greater purpose. Sujo started to receive some requests to minister, and then TBN and the 700 Club asked him to come on and tell a story, and then he started getting calls everywhere to speak. And it launched, it launched him into an evangelistic ministry that continues on today, where he's literally spoken to millions of people live. Not only that, he's returned to the nation of India, and he's reaching out. He has a ministry entitled You Can Free Us, and he's building safe houses, much like Remember New. He's building safe houses in India to rescue young ladies from trafficking. They're popping up all over the place. We're going to help with one of those, help build one of those in Mumbai. Or actually, we're going to help secure property for that building in Mumbai. I'm going uh, in just a few months to be with Sujo to, to, to look at, at, at what we might do there in India. And, and so Sujo starts to do this, and then he starts to get attention. One of the things he does is he's He's wise and he's a business person, right? He doesn't think like a preacher, you know, let's, let's uh, all get together and pass out bulletins or something, you know. Uh, he, he just thinks, how do we get the word out there? So he, he asked for the best models and most famous people in India to help him come for a modeling show to raise money to, to, to rescue these young girls from trafficking. And all the most famous, uh, some of the most famous people in India show up to model these clothes. Well, then they get the attention of the government because it goes on the TV and, and, and the government realizes what they're doing and they start to like this guy. He comes from us. He's in America, yes, but he was born here. He's got a heart for our people. He's raising resources. He's trying to help us. And, and then Sujo told them after much prayer that the real problem is India is the way that the women are devalued. They're not even seen as human. They're seen as servants, and they're seen as those who are just used for sexual fulfillment. And the young men are learning this at a very early age as boys. And he tells, tells the government, we have to change that whole mentality, or we'll never get rid of this problem. We have to hit the root of it, because they're, they're misusing the, the, these human beings and treating them as, as if they deserve no respect. 
So the government says, well, how can you help us? And Sujo says, I tell you what, I've got a curriculum that I've written. Let me put it in the schools. And it teaches these young men and the young ladies that, that, they're, that, that they're, they're valuable, that the women deserve respect, these young ladies deserve respect, and if we can change it there, we can change the nation. So the president says, let's do a pilot program with 250,000 students. So he puts a curriculum in. Now, mind you, it's, it's Christian principles, even though scriptures aren't in it. It's talking about respect for women and caring and not abusing women in the ways that are happening in India. And the government's for it. And if that pilot program, pray, because if it goes well, that curriculum's going into every school in India. God is using this young man incredibly. He'll be with us in January to share of the things that are happening. But he was rescued through the flames of the towers of 911. A young man just thinking, I want to I learn you know, from America how to make money and have wealth. But God had something different for his destiny. An unlikely person to rise up to speak to millions and yet God chose him. He's been featured in the New York Times, the Times of London, the Billy Graham special, Christianity Today, and, and God is using him incredibly. He found his God-given destiny, and he's humbly fulfilling God's call on his life. Now, that's a big story. When we look at the life of Esther, we look at Sujo and what's happening, but here's a key thought for all of us today. God wants to use you, too. God has a divine destiny for you. And really with God, there are no small things. Because if one person's life gets changed and they come to Jesus, it can affect generations in that family. And as we love, Mother Teresa taught us that, right? If you do small things with great love, you can change the world. And God has something for us to do. He has something for you to do. Question for you, will you say to Jesus... I'm available, I will participate in your grand plan of redemption. When God gives a vision, it's always about building his kingdom and it's about souls. It's about caring for the unfortunate, leading people to Jesus Christ, to know of his compassion, his love, the salvation that's offered through Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. His vision always includes that. We'll create a vision... And sometimes we ask God to follow the vision. Sujo was there. Here's what I want to do with my life. But God met him and said, it's bigger than that, Sujo. It's more than that. You say, well, how could I be used in any way that could really make a difference when it comes to salvation and Jesus Christ and God? Zechariah 4, 6 says this, when we think of even those things, it's not by force nor by strength. Another version, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of heaven's armies. God can put his spirit on us and bring, like he did with Esther, incredible things about through our lives. Second thought, your role in God's plan is important too. We can see that Esther's life is really important. She doesn't even know what's about to happen, but God's got something in mind for her that's going to be magnificent. It includes the salvation of the nation of Israel. Esther 2, verse 8, let's pick up the story. As a result, the king's decree, of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem in the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. That's a servant of the king. Skip to verse 16, Esther was taken to King Xerxes. So there's just beautiful young women, just like a beauty contest, 
personality and all that, you know, they're looking at it. What kind of people are they? They're, they're being put in fine clothes. They take months to perfume their bodies and make their skin just right. And in this contest, literally, they put them before the king who's going to choose his queen. And at the royal palace, verse 16, in early winter of the seventh year, uh, Esther was taken to the king, that verse 16 says. Verse 17, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. Now, I'm sure she was beautiful or she wouldn't be there. But all the most beautiful women in the land were there that were, that were virgins and, and not married. They, they, they picked all these choice young ladies to bring to, to there to see if they, would be, if they would be queen. I believe that when Xerxes saw her, the Spirit of God did something to draw him to her. God puts favor on us for his purposes. I hear people talk about, I want favor of God, I want the favor of God. It sounds like they want it for themselves often, but he puts favor, his favor on us for his purposes. And he had put his favor upon this woman here, this young woman. And the king was so delighted with her that he, at that moment, I mean, that's why I think it's God, he sets the royal crown on her head and declared her queen. She was chosen not for her own pleasure, but by the will of God for his work in this key time of history. See, because there was a problem. She could have had no idea that this was going to happen, but he had her there for a purpose. Haman, the evil servant of the king, is offended because of Mordecai. That's her cousin who's older, who's adopted her. Mordecai won't bow to him. He says, you know, God's the one that's worthy of bowing to, but I'm not bowing to you. And it makes this servant of the king who has some power, Haman, it makes him mad. So he concocts a diabolical plan that deceives the king to accept uh, the, the idea of killing Mordecai, but not only Mordecai, he tells him all the Jews won't bow to you because they'll only bow to God. You need, you need to put a, I want to put a bounty on their head and, 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 and if people kill them, <clears throat> uh, then, then, then they'll receive a bounty. And the king, unbelievably, is deceived and says okay to this. This puts the whole nation of Israel in jeopardy. Esther's there in God's sovereignty and she didn't know it. It's not really just about finding a queen to submit to the king. That's, that's, that's not what this is about. This is God orchestrating his divine plan and protection for his people through the life of young Esther. The people in the story aren't even aware of what would happen. She doesn't know this is going to happen, that the whole nation will be uh, in danger of Israel. And you may not be aware of God's story for you. Stop and let that resonate for a moment. She didn't know she'd be in the palace. She, knew, she, she had all these years where she never even thought about that. When she was in the palace, she didn't know that salvation would come from, from her as she reached out to the king for the sake of the people. Maybe you're just going on in life. Not a whole lot's happening. Doesn't seem too significant. Listen, I want you to know that though you may not be aware of God's story, just live for God and be faithful and he will bring you to those key moments where he'll show you how you're to be involved in his grand plan of redemption. You're chosen too. The Bible says we're a chosen people, that we're kings and priests if we belong to God in the spiritual realm. You're somebody to God. You're a candidate and God can use you amazingly and he already has a plan for your life. No matter how young or how old, he's got a plan for your life, and it's from start to finish he knows what he wants to do. 
I believe that we can thwart that plan by deciding we want to do something else because God won't violate our wills. But when we say, yes, God, I'm in, and I will follow you, and we get on the path with him, and we follow his plan, then we get to be a part of this great adventure, the grand redemption of God. Ephesians 2.10 shows us he has a plan. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God's already got a plan for you, for your life. You can discover it. You can't create the plan, but you can discover it. He has a timing in all these things. You can't move the timing to where you want it, but you can follow in his will for that timing. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you. See, God knows what he wants. He says they are plans for good and not disaster to give you hope and a future. I believe that God has a purpose for you in this generation. It'll be different and perhaps unique for each of us. It'll be unique, I'll tell you this, because of the times you live in. Now, I've been thinking about this and praying about it, and, and I, I, I believe this is true, that we no longer live in a Christian nation. We now live in a, in a, a post-Christian time in America. And this is what this means. It means that people's first look at religion isn't Jesus anymore. 30 years ago in America, the first look at religion was always Christianity or Jesus. That's not true anymore. Now all these other religions have come into our nation and, and, and they're preaching uh, what, what they believe. And here's what the Bible says in Acts 4.12. There's only one name under heaven and whereby we can be saved, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. And here's what the Bible is meaning. That God only had one plan to deliver us from his sin, and it was his son, Jesus Christ. And there's only one way, because God only had one plan for that. So now we live in a time, though, when, and especially for the young people here, we live in a time where your friends aren't just going to show up at church if they're feeling bad. Because they've listened to CNN and the, the media outlets who are, who, are, who are major liberal, saying that all Christians are bad, that they're white middle classers who hate all races. It's not true. But it's, it's, it's what they've heard. And, and so, so they bought into it. They're not coming into the building these days. So what does that mean? That means that the plan to reach people has to change and get outside the church. We live in a day, Esther's day is much like our day. It's a pagan nation. Esther has... Two things going on. She's both covert and overt. And I think that's a plan for today. You can see it in the book of Daniel too. They were living with kings that did not know God and people that would not follow their God. But the children of Israel, Dad, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they were able to thrive in the culture, be excellent at what they did, live a godly example, and at just the right time they would stand up and boldly proclaim the thing the Lord put in their heart. It wasn't every moment that they did it, though. They lived the life, and at key moments they would give the witness. And that was all part of God's grand redemption too. I think that's much like the day we live in, that we're going to have to find ways to get outside the church. And it's not street preaching that's going to be the main way to reach these people. We're going to have to permeate the culture in the mainstream and go back to living the life and speaking at key times. I want to put someone before you that I think is similar to Esther's story in this sense that she's both working covert, when I say covert, I mean 
Uh, Underneath, you can't see what's going on. And Esther, here's why it was covert. Esther, her cousin, Mordecai, who was leading her much of the time, said, don't tell him that you're Jewish. Don't let that be known. So that's covert. It's under. It's not seen. But then there's another time that's coming that you read in a moment where, where Mordecai says, stand up now, because it was time to be over. So she was both covert and overt in the plan of God, and I think that's similar to what's going to have to happen in our nation today. Let me explain and illustrate with this. There's a young lady who's a major star that's rising. She's number one on iTunes, and her name is Tori Kelly. She's a strong believer in Jesus Christ. Tori Kelly, uh, I I read an article this week that says this 22-year-old is most likely on her way to becoming the world's next mega pop star. The reason that Tori is having success is she hasn't signed record contracts, tremendously talented. She's worked through social media where she has millions of followers. So now the record companies come to her because she's got all these people who are looking at her music. And um, Scooter Braun, uh, who is Justin Bieber's producer, uh, just just started uh, to work with Tori Kelly. And Tori Kelly's released an album that he produced now. But she didn't want to do it at first. Because she wants to say what she wants to say with her message the way she wants to say it. And she's so popular, they say, finally, okay, we'll do it your way. So she comes out with these songs, and he meets with her right away as they're developing the album. And Scooter Braun says to her, Tori, you're too boring. Now, you know where this is going. It's all under the surface, right? You need to be more exciting. You need to do some things where people will take notice of you. Well, the pressure comes when you're in that industry, doesn't it? Tori goes home and writes a song that night. She comes back to Scooter Braun and says, I wrote a song about you last night, and here it is. Because she doesn't care if she works with him or not. You know, if God wants her to for the purposes of, of, of you know, his grand design to, to get, uh, uh, you know, exposure, fine. But if, but if not, that's fine too. The song is the title song of her, her album, and she wrote it. Uh, with an attitude a little bit towards a producer, and it goes like this. Here's some lyrics. Somebody told me fame is a disease. You start singing the blues when you start seeing the green. But I think it's all about what you choose. The way you live your life depends on you. That's when I realized I want to make a difference, change other people's lives, give hope even for a moment. Now, notice that this isn't overtly Christian, but, but, but there's some principles in there that are very much ours, aren't they, that, that are biblical. And then she writes this chorus. There's some la-di-da's in there, but I'll just get to the words. You're not breaking me. Ain't got time for you. She's, this is the producer. S- s- uh, ain't got time for you singing. You won't shatter me. I've got an unbreakable smile. And then next verse, stir up a little scene, because isn't that what you want? For me to mess up so you can dress up some story? Saying, Tori, this will sell more records. That's, that's lyrics, actually. But I'd I'd rather make them yawn than be your pawn on a chessboard. It doesn't sound like she's trying to secure the deal to me. You know know what I mean? And then she says this. It's my favorite line in the song. And baby, who knows? Maybe I can sell out shows without taking off my clothes. So Tori is going covert because that's covert she's got I think she's had three songs in the top 40 she's just rising to fame and they're saying she's going to be the biggest thing and she's super talented she's not saying Jesus every time she goes out but when she goes to cities she's showing up for spontaneous worship services in a church here's one where she's in San Diego recently she just dropped in it's just a church it's not a concert 
She's out there doing her concerts and thousands, tens of thousands show up. She's in these big shows. She's on the Billboard 100 TV show the other night. She killed it. But here she is at a church, and this is what she does, does when she goes to cities. She's been with Hillsong and other people in settings, too, just to worship. Check out Tori Kelly as she sings at the San Diego church here. Sing, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the an example of what I'm saying, both covert and overt. Yeah, I'll just give the Lord a hand for that. But I, <clears throat> I, I let it go a bit because I wanted you to see that she actually knows Jesus, that, you know, she knows the presence of the Lord. She's a worshiper. And yet she's going to be in Las Vegas in, in just a few weeks where she's performing with some of the most vile people that you can see in music. And people say, well, what are you doing out there? There are people there who need to know God, and she's a missionary. And I'm saying in the new day, it's both covert and overt. It's like Daniel. It's like Esther. It's the secular that's crossing with the sacred. And, and she's doing this so people are finding out who she is, what she's about, that she's not going to do this other stuff. But pray for her. You know the enemy would desire to, to, to bring problems to her, right? But, but know that God in this new day is raising up people, and he's still doing something. And he wants to reach people for his glory. And he's using Tory. Acts 13, 36. I love this verse. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. His own generation. I have a question for you. Our generation, isn't, it's not your grandma's day. 
It's not your mom and dad's day. It's our day. And grandma and mom and dad, we all, it's, we're all in the new day. This is a new generation. And here's the question. What is God calling us to do in our generation? It may, be not, it may not look like it looked in the past. What's he saying to you? Where is his Holy Spirit leading you? You say, well, I, you know, I can't relate to that Tori Kelly story. You know, I heard a man speak just uh, a couple of weeks ago who's the owner of the Hobby Lobby. I, I had a chance to be there with them, and you, you know the Hobby Lobby influenced the, the, the decision of the Supreme Court. They, they won at a level uh, where, where they don't have to allow abortion for their employees. They, they have uh, over 100,000 employees, and, and so they won at the Supreme Court level. So that's what you hear in the news. Did you know behind the scenes that that man who's the owner of the Hobby Lobby gives hundreds of millions of dollars to Christian works and missionary works all across the world to feed the poor, to show the love of God. Someone told me, I don't know if it's true, that he gives, he's given over a billion in some years. My word. Listen, God can use you wherever you are. It's not the day of the preacher making the difference. It's the day of the people of God rising up to influence culture everywhere and they're, they're living both covert by example and the fruit of the Spirit. And then at just the right time, they stand up and they give glory to God. I believe as Tori goes on, you will hear from time to time along the way, at just the right time, that she'll give glory to God. She's already doing it. What are we going to do? What's God calling us to do in our generation? Third point now, God wants us to be courageous. Esther hears that Mordecai is mourning. That's her uh, I'll call him Uncle Morty, but it's the older cousin, is mourning at the gate because he's heard the story. Not only that he would die, but that all the, the nation of Israel would die and the Jewish people would be destroyed. She's in the palace. She doesn't know the story. She sends her servant to find out why her, her, her ad, adoptive dad is mourning like this because she's heard about it. And Mordecai tells the servant the whole story, picking it up in verse 7, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. And then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. So now she knows the story. The people, her people, king doesn't even know she's Jewish, are, 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 are set to be destroyed. And she says, Uncle Morty, don't you know, right here, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. And this is the crux of the whole book of Esther here. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from other, another place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. And I will tell you, she recognized that it was true. That she'd been brought to this place for this purpose and it was time to stand up. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather the people, all the Jews of Susa, and fast for me. So they go into prayer. Don't eat or drink for three days, night, three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king 
And here it is, man. You talk about courage personified in Esther. If I must die, I must die. Acts 1.8 talks about Christians being filled with the Spirit. And it says that they received the power in Acts 1.8 to become my witnesses. That word witnesses, translated in the Greek, is the word martyr. Interesting, isn't it? Is our Christianity easy believism? Is it about favor that God would give us to gather our wealth, to cover our families? Or are we those who are in to build the kingdom? Are we those who are sold out, who will take even the mantle that the Holy Spirit would give us, the power to even die for the sake of the gospel? I believe every Christian should have in their heart this thought that I might even die for Jesus Christ because it's there in the Bible. I don't believe very many of you will have to do that. But the point is, if you carry that in your heart, then you will carry this thought, I will live my life for Jesus Christ all out. She's ready to give it all, man, the ultimate price, her life. And here she goes in to see the king, Esther 5. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. Man, that's the moment. Is he going to say that now, now you must die, you entered when I didn't give you permission? Or is he going to reach out? He reached out to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. And then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half of the kingdom. Wow. To shorten the story, we're covering a lot, a lot of chapters. The king grants her request to save her people. He, he didn't know that he had done this he, that against her and her people, that it would mean even her death. Haman is the one who's killed and not the people of Israel as a result. This one that hatched this diabolical plan. The bounty that was on their heads, the king has signed it with his signet ring. He can't go back on it, but he gives the power to all the Jewish people to take up arms and fight for themselves. And the truce is the rest of the people that were going to come against him for the bounty were too afraid. They didn't show up. And if the ones that did were destroyed. So her being courageous, being willing to give her life, being willing to stand up for God and the salvation of her people in that moment ends in the deliverance of that whole race. God is looking for courageous people to carry out his plan. Sure, we live the life. Sure, covert is good, you know, we're, we, but you, the fruit of the Spirit, that's all awesome. But at some point, if the gospel is going to be shared and the story is going to happen the way that God's written it out, we have to give words to our lives. We have to give words to the gospel, not just, not, not just behavior. They're both tremendously important. Try watching a movie without the sound and tell me how much you enjoy it. We've got to put some words to it. We've got to speak. We've got to stand up in those moments and say, I'm here to advocate for this. God's looking for courageous people. There's a courageous young lady in this church named Elizabeth Spillman. She works for a ministry called Stand Up Girl. And they're standing up in this generation. They're reaching many young girls through social media. And here's how it works. A scared, pregnant young lady 
who's searching keywords on her phone or computer, such as abortion, has stand-up girl pop up. Talk about reaching your generation. What do you call me doing my generation? Well, this is a media thing here. But it's, it's Elizabeth standing up as, as a servant of the Lord to rescue people too. Then this young lady can text the organization that routes them to the closest pregnancy help centers and their network with the Pregnancy Resource Center. Those, those are compassionate, godly people at the Pregnancy Research Center, and they're steered away from Planned Parenthood. Now let me talk about that for a moment. You've seen it in the media this week, that there was a secret tape that revealed that Planned Parenthood has doctors that are harvesting babies, that's, these are their words, and, and, and they're not crushing the most vital parts of the organs so they can sell them to the highest bidder. What has happened to our nation? Where's the compassion of God for the, for, the, for the most innocent, the most helpless victims among us? You say, Pastor, you're getting political. No, I'm not. I'm getting biblical. And this culture will cross the path of, of biblical moral at times, and it's my job to stand up and say it. Here's what David said. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You made me fearfully and wonderfully. Who does the work in the womb? God is doing the work. He's knitting together. I know that people have made mistakes and we want to be compassionate and loving and help through the trauma of even that. And still I love that Elizabeth is there and, and the Pregnancy Resource Center to just offer loving and compassion. Did you know that there are 1.6 million, this, this may not be current, but this is a few years ago, 1.6 million abortions a year in America. I think that number has been reduced now. But at that time, 1.6 million abortions, 1.7 million requests unanswered for adoption. God would come in and take people who love him and, 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 and help even the most innocent who couldn't help themselves. It's who he is and he loves. And I appreciate Elizabeth Spillman right here among us, one of the people that attend this church, who's, who's saying, I'll be a stand-up girl. I'll stand up and I'll stand in the gap. For these, the same way that Esther stood to save lives. The highest calling would be that we would stand up for the salvation of others. That we'd be willing to endure persecution. Even for the sake of the gospel. This is the kind of sermon that could empty the church next week. I, I hope you come back. You know, give your life, die for Jesus, see you next week, you know. It's like, man, let's go to an easier place. Yeah. But Joshua 1.9 says this, this is my command, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's with his people for his purposes. What is God calling you to do? He can use small things in great ways. Are you his? Where you say, Lord, I'm in. You just, you just guide me and I'll do it. 